You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Global Trade This Week, brought to you by Cap Logistics. I'm sure you're all as happy as I am to see that the varsity is back on the field. We, uh, we sent Keenan <laughs> back to the kids' table. He's uh, back where he belongs, playing with his silly putty and his Power Rangers while he waits for, um, you know, after nap time to get his bag of uh, fruit snacks and his Capri Sun, which honestly, I don't do a lot of sugar, and that sounds pretty awesome right now. Uh, But with me, as always, is the indefatigable. You like that word? I have no idea what that means. Unable to defeat. Oh, there we go. The indefatigable. Doug Draper. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. I want to give KB a little shout out. He did a great job. Ah. Kind of came together last minute. He's a good, he's a good co-host. I liked it. I thought we pulled it off. <laughs> it's, it's it's sort of it's sort of like going to a really high-end steakhouse and them saying all we have is chicken. I mean, I'm oh. sure the chicken will be well done. Uh, I'm sure that all the other, you know, side dishes will be fantastic, but the people came for steak, Doug. They came yeah. for steak. Mm. So, well, he's like got Sam his the hand on the I'm bringing Alice the meat today. So, yeah. we can have a good well, time with his, this. He's got his hand on the button. So, just be careful what you uh, comment or wish for. That's fine. He can try to come up with this stellar content that I do week after week for the show with you. That's mm-hmm. fine with me. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, honestly, C plus effort, um, uh, which, you know, for him, that's really high end of his scale. So, um, <laughs> You can tell he really tried. It's coming hard. All right. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of good content, we ready to kick this bad boy off? I think so, buddy. Why don't you let us know what's going on with our first uh, first topic this week? All right. First one. Um, it is basically warehouse development bans in the Inland Empire. And when I read that, I was like, "Wait, what?" baffles my mind so basically here's the gist of it pete and i'm going to take a uh, a pro and con approach so uh looks like there's cities and towns in the inland empire are putting these moratoriums on uh on uh, building and developing of warehouses right um and it's 45 day bans and the concept behind it is okay let us figure out what the hell's going on how does all this growth impact um, our neighborhoods, the cumulative effect of warehouses, energy, trucks, pollution, things of that nature. So 45 days. Now, some of them have, some of these cities have gone in and said, we need more than 45 days, which I'm sure all of them will eventually do. Some have put moratorium 10 years out, or excuse me, 10 months out. So um, yeah, it just struck me as as odd, but things that come out of California are often such. So uh, I read deeper. So here's my take on the pros and the cons, right? So um, for a ban, I kind of get it. Here's some statistics or one statistic. In the mid-70s, there was 160 distribution centers in the Inland Empire uh, that encompasses many, many areas. But everybody knows if you're into into 40, know the the Inland Empire. In 2021, 4,300 warehouses so um there's definitely a lot more out there than there were so i get it yeah huge under construction at this very moment 33 million square feet of warehouse not not what's in market but what's under construction right 
So uh, I get the cumulative effect, right? You got the congestion, the infrastructure demands, um, you know, pipes, electricity, sewage, all that kind of stuff. Air quality, I get that. You know, there's a lot of uh, um, residential areas, and so the warehouse areas continue to encroach, right? Um, kind of like out here in Colorado, that people get pissed off whenever they're attacked by bears, even though they're building closer and closer in, in, into, you know, that territory that humans are not supposed to be in. So conceptually, maybe not the same thing, but I think you get the point, right? There, what's the balance between commercial and residential? Um, but the bottom line, Pete, is that Southern California is like the Ellis Island of freight, right? That's the first, the first line of defense. And all of that stuff goes into America, just like Ellis Island. So I kind of also understand that they're the buffer. They're, they're the gateway. They're taking the brunt, if you will, of the incredible amount of volume that comes through. I get it. I can see the pros. Uh, against is... A short-term ban isn't going to do a whole heck of a lot. You can't accomplish much in 45 days with, with studies and things of that nature when you, when you loop in um, different levels of government. Um, they're going to go elsewhere, right? It, it, if they're not welcome, they're going to push even further east. They're going to push south. They're going to go in different directions, right? So if you don't want them and they're not welcome, um, they're going to go elsewhere. Um, that could include just getting the hell out of uh, the state of California. Um, then you got taxes and jobs, both direct and in, indirect uh, uh, impact. So that'd be the case against on why they're doing this, right? But here's the forward lean that I always, that I'm making a point, Pete, to, to talk about with all of our topics is uh, it's just another reason for companies to second guess what they're doing there, right? I mean, California, and you and all know everybody's leaving uh, Denver is a recipient and Colorado is a recipient of, of that. And California's get a bad rap. I get it. But you put too many berries in there with AB5, taxes, and limitations, and, and now you can't even build buildings. What's going to happen is there's going to continue to be a surge to second tier ports that you and I have talked about, where those cities and counties will be like, hell yeah, we'll come in. Come on, we'll give you tax incentives. We'll, we'll assist with the builds things of that nature. So I, I don't really understand. I get both sides, Pete. It, it's just baffling to me. It's some of the decisions made out there where uh, it just encourages companies to say enough is enough. So there's my take on uh, on the 45-day bans of warehouse construction. Who do people from Colorado hate more, folks from California or people from Texas? Texas. Really? Me. Me. Texas. Oh, okay. Is this... No offense. Um, I, I lived hey. in Texas for a while. I get it. It's all good, so, man. It's all good. Yeah. I understand. Um, yeah, I I love this topic for a lot of reasons. When I worked for accounting firms, my dream had been to stop doing trading customs and logistics and go to work for the practice that was called credits and incentives. Doug, I don't know if we've ever talked about that, but we've they're the ones that, like the, one of the firms I worked for, they negotiated where the NFL draft was going to go. So they would, they said to the NFL, why do you do it in the same city every year? Like, well, convenience. And they said, well, what if we did it from different cities that we could bring jobs to them, get a tax credit? You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity that comes from that. I'm like, oh, I've never thought about it that way. And then for very large production companies, they would negotiate the best possible tax deal, um, funding for certain parts of their facilities. 
And I just thought that was incredible. And it really comes down to what you were just talking about. What is, what is still drawing companies into deciding that they want to operate on the West Coast right now? Between constant fears of having to deal with port strikes, incredibly high taxes, outrageous, outrageous congestion, and what has been a real problem with the rail over the course of the past, well, forever, um, you know, and then regulation on top of regulation on top of regulation. And these are the sort of folks that will come in and say, it's time to have a look at someplace different, right? But what's always been going for the West Coast is geography. You know, it's the, it's the closest possible port as far as timing goes for products coming in for Asia. And I think that that's, that's kind of their, you know, that's their trump card. And they've, they might've played it out at this point. You may have gotten to the point where you've added so many other elements of cost and so many other you know, annoyances, irritations to doing business there that you're going to see more and more companies looking at the Gulf Coast, looking at the East Coast, and then looking for other ports on the West Coast. Somebody with a lot of money is going to invest in Mexico and they're going to find a way to bring that cargo. It's not that, take it from a guy who's driven a ship, ain't that hard to turn right, man. And, you know, a port is a port as far as we're concerned. And then from there, have an intelligent way and a, I guess a secure way is probably what most of us are concerned with, right? To get that cargo uh, in bond over the rail, over tractor trailers, who knows? Elon Musk could build a tunnel uh, from underneath the ports all the way to the West Coast. But more importantly, there comes a point, like when we talked about um, driverless cars and, um, you know, um, where you say the cost of doing business now has gotten so expensive, it's actually almost as expensive as doing it somewhere else. I don't see this business going to a Portland or Seattle. They have their own regulatory issues or Vancouver because, again, the geography gets farther and farther away from where the infrastructure is. Someone is going to put some serious money into infrastructure into a secondary place. When that happens, buddy, uh, I worry about LA Long Beach and their ability to continue being that megaport that they've always been. It just doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, you know, two and two are not adding up together anymore. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, Doug, I'll be dead when that happens because it's going to take a long time. We are so captured by probably five major ports in America, you know, that we don't have much of a choice right now. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to take a lot of money cut through a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of red tape to make it happen. That's not happening anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. Great points. Uh, I, I, the boring company, I'm not sure that's uh, really going to transpire, but I think the Mexico, you brought that up uh, many times, Pete, and I'm, um, I am a believer in that as well, but it is definitely a decades plural type of engagement. So yeah, it's going to be tough. All right, man, flipping the script, what you got for topic one? Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of conversations that are happening right now about the future of retail, the future of e-commerce. And it, it really, it, it made me want to pause because I read a lot of these articles, Doug, and I'm sure you do too, where well-meaning members of the logistics media say things that are truly misinformed. They're, they're just, they're, they're clearly, they're not as engaged in what they're writing about as they seem to believe, or they're getting their information as journalists from really poor sources. So one of my favorite articles that's currently out is this speculation that it's only a matter of time before Amazon buys either Walmart or Kohl's. Have you read about this? Uh, no, 
I know the yeah. Kohl's relationship, but I haven't heard yeah. anything specific. Yeah. So, you know, I had to buy a new computer recently. I got one from Amazon. It was a hunk of crap. I'm bringing it back to a Kohl's. I'm dropping it off. And as soon as I drop it off, I get my money back. Kohl's and Amazon have built a beautiful relationship that allows them to at least get one foot above when it comes to dealing with these um, these returns. And then the idea with Target everyone writes about is, could you put Whole Foods markets inside of Target's rather than their current um, infrastructure for grocery shopping? And you know, Amy and I were talking about it this morning, and she brought up some excellent points that I would never consider. Like, Whole Foods is not your your normal place to go buy your groceries. Most people don't buy all of their groceries at Whole Foods. Second of all, Target is something that you can depend on. You go to Target knowing what the prices are going to be and being able to find a broad spectrum of corporate product, much like Amazon. So I don't know if those two things really jive, but from a supply chain standpoint, yeah, I get it. You're able to put product pretty much in every major American town. Uh, you have a built-in logistics network of infrastructure. It all sounds great. My issue is, is that people keep forgetting all e-commerce is, is supply chains. That's all it is. It's the ability for us to get cargo from one person to another and have someone pay for it. And I'm telling you right now, Doug, the future of e-commerce falls into two different groups. Companies that are going to build infrastructure for other companies to use. So you've got your Amazons, you certainly your Wayfarers, Alibabas, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And the second is going to be companies that provide that infrastructure that is easily adopted. And if I were going to write something that made a lot of sense, Doug, I would say that someone like FedEx or UPS needs to build their own platform. They need to buy a company not unlike a smaller version of Alibaba or what Wayfair was 10 years, not 10, well, five years ago, seven years ago, uh, before the pandemic. And say, so we're taking your infrastructure from a digital footprint standpoint, and we're pairing it with our physical infrastructure. And now we can move whatever the hell we want, anywhere we want, at prices that we want to move it at. And we have every other piece of infrastructure that we're selling to everyone else. Why are they giving up so much of the profit? Why are they hitting over so much of the money they could be making when the real financial opportunity is to simply compete with an Amazon who doesn't exist without those two companies? You want to break Amazon in the United States? Simple. Force them to use either UPS or FedEx because the other one won't do business with them anymore. Force them to consider ways that they're going to have to keep their product in other people's warehouses that aren't associated and attached to one of those logistics companies. They'll weather the storm. I think it's a fascinating concept that really, when you get down to it, it proves the point. All e-commerce really is, is very well done supply chains. Yeah. That is a very interesting take on things. Um, you know, there's some transition going on with leadership at FedEx, um, President stepping down. I get it. I just don't know if FedEx, UPS, they're just cashing things in with money. Yep. Like their core business is doing so well. Um, and, and you've seen UPS, uh, you know, become laser focused by getting rid of their LTL division and selling that off to T-Force. You know, from a um, shareholder standpoint, I'd be like, keep doing what you're doing and fine tune the, the machine that is uh, the parcel economy. I get it. I, I love the, the angle of it, the, those are the groups that can enter and create most disruption quickly. Um, I don't know if they need to, right? If it's if, if their shareholders are saying, let's be, let's make 
uh, a better infrastructure for us and let's make more money for our shareholders and let's reinvest into our car competency. I, I just don't know if, uh, uh, if Wall Street's going to allow that to happen, but I love the concept. One of these major e-commerce companies will fail. Um, one of the probably one of the Chinese ones that's really built up a lot of incredible technology. It won't be Alibaba, but one, one of these, you know, the, it's very different, the platform versus Amazon, um, mm -hmm. the way that they sell things. And when that happens, FedEx or UPS should buy one and simply open it up and say, we have an e-commerce solution for anybody who wants it. It's all set up. It's all created. And you will have better rates than anyone on planet Earth can provide you. Welcome to the new world of e-commerce. Sign here. And they'll laugh all the way to the bank. So yeah. most of the infrastructure you're talking about making better for them, Doug, is actually attached directly to e-commerce. Someone at FedEx needs to call me and Adele and ask us to build them a platform and then just put it on ice and yeah. wait, wait and watch what everyone else goes through on returns. Because once the returns thing gets figured out from a procedural standpoint, then they just simply have to adopt it, put it in place and tell Amazon to kick rocks. Yeah. yeah. Good take. Excellent yeah, well take. That, that brings us to halftime, my friend, which is, seems to be everyone's favorite part of the show, which breaks my heart because I think that we really bring the content around here. But halftime brought to you by our great friends at Cap Logistics. To learn more about their uh, logistics solutions and international and domestic transportation solutions, reach out to them at caplogistics.com. We couldn't do it without them. Um, they could probably give us somebody better than Keenan, but it is what it is. Whoa. So, Doug, what do you have for our for our first topic this week on halftime? Oh, you know, I'm sitting here while we're talking, and I'm thinking about pivoting to a, a comment that you made earlier about California versus Texas. So, oh, I'm going to shrink it. up. I'm going to shrink my initial halftime, and I'm going to give you some two takes on that one. So, um, it goes related to my second topic, which is about. Um, water levels across the world are dropping and uh, infrastructure waterways are really taking an impact. And I guess if there's a positive to that, and that is one heck of a stretch of a term, would be kind of the quote unquote hid hidden treasures that have been out there um, that are being discovered. Uh, in Italy, I know there's some ruins and a bridge or something that they think that yeah. the Roman Empire may have built, uh, Emperor Nero. Um, there's some Buddhist statues that uh, have uh, come to uh, uh, come to view uh, that they think are six, seven hundred years old. Um, but the thing that, that, that catches me is, so those are things across the, the, the globe. Italy has, you know, the uh, Roman Empire and Buddhists and whatever. And what does America have? Dead bodies in mead, lake mead, right? <laughs> Like that's fires, the, dead bodies. That's the only thing. It's it's it, you know, and the the funny thing to me, Pete, is they're like, huh, well, we're finding dead bodies and five sets of human remains and blah 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 blah. And then this is what's the most comical, Pete. And I'm just gonna leave it at this. The rumors say it could be tied to mob activity from Las Vegas. And I'm thinking, no shit, right? You think that really are, are you kidding me? There's going to be yeah. more and more discoveries as the water level continues to drop. I just think that that was comical that anybody even would wonder that that is uh, related to it. So that's my take here. This one will be real quick. Uh, I'm, I'm shifting gears on you. So California versus uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, California does more damage uh, to the economy when they come in. I'm talking specific to Colorado. 
um, because they come up with a lot of money, they raise prices, rising tide raises all ships. So they can provide more damage, but individuals and the one-on-one, uh, it would have to be Texas. And I know there's people out there that are, you know, I'm creating a little controversy because I want people to make comments uh, on our post. But here's the deal, Pete, and, and uh, Keenan and I were, were talking about this. It's about 100 days till the ski resort opens. So I'm going to mm-hmm. give to you a picture. I'm going to paint a picture to you of what a, uh, a skier from Texas. So first of all, they have their jacket wide open because they have no concept of how things change temperature-wise. So it's all cold, and then the jacket's wide open. They hold their poles out very, very wide. They have jeans, and they carry their wallet just in case, right? So their wallet's hanging out of their jeans. Things are scotch-guarded. There's no concept of ski pants. and Everything's tucked into their boots, so their boots are sitting out there, and they're not tied very tight because they don't know how to wear them correctly, and their feet hurt. So the last thing that they say before they get off the, 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 the run to go down looking like a fool is, hey, y'all, watch this. And then they just go flying down the, 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 uh, the slope, make no turns, run into people, and create chaos. So that is your typical Texas skier. And I apologize. Actually, I don't apologize if I've offended some folks because they are all over the slopes every season. So that's the negative for Texas. The economical impact is the negative for California. That's a double whammy on the halftime, Pete. Thank you for allowing me to. Uh, yeah, uh, no the problem. Time. Yeah. <laughs> on behalf of all people from Texas, you can kiss our ass. How about that? <laughs> all right. Fair uh, yeah. enough. Uh, so my halftime is an interesting one. Uh, for those of you who follow the news, on Friday, 900 people were laid off from Wayfair. And guess what? I was one of them. So what had been a, uh, a relatively stressful couple of months dealing with everything from, you know, um, contract seasons, um, all the complexities and difficulties of a modern supply chain, which we talk about every week on the show, uh, to secession planning really came to a head when I got one email saying, hey, surprise, everybody, we're laying off 900 people today, 5% of our workforce, followed up by another quick email that said, um, you're either going to get a quick email that says you still got a job or you don't. So that's the way that it went. And I was um, drinking my coffee at Starbucks and I got the email saying, you have been impacted by the layoffs. It wasn't just me. It was a lot of the fellow leaders that I work with. And um, there's two things that I really wanted to focus on here. First is, if you go on LinkedIn right now, the number of people whom I worked with that are still at Wayfair that love to say in their, their LinkedIn messages, hey, feel so bad for everyone. If anybody knows about jobs for them, please let them know. That was very nice. Sincerely, I think that was a very nice touch. Um, and the second thing, Doug, is I have in all of the years that I've bounced around jobs, and I have, I've always, and I tell everyone this, if you want to get paid, you have to go where your talents are appreciated. That's the whole point of free agency, right? So if, you, if you're not getting paid what you want for the job that you're doing, it means you have to find someone who's willing to do it, which is why I've had, I think, 10 professional jobs in a 30-year career. Um, now, I've never, ever been laid off been fired. Um, I've certainly quit. I've never been laid off. And um, I got a lot of free time all of a sudden here, you know, so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm already on interviews. I have one tomorrow with a pretty big company. I have uh, two more on Wednesday with massive companies. And then another one on Thursday and one on Friday. I mean, I've even been, it's my first day back to work since it happened. And I'm already, people are coming to me, not the other way around, which is a nice feeling. But 
not realizing you weren't going to have a job and just waking up in the morning, I got to tell you, I haven't slept this good in a long time. Mm. Um, I'm going to, I'm excited to go back to BJJ practically every single day and um, watch a lot of rugby and continue to plan the wedding. So it's a weird feeling uh, for me, Doug. So ever been laid off before? Uh, no, I have not. No, yeah. I, I, my, my job, uh, numbers of jobs has been relatively small compared to you, but I don't know, Pete, does it feel, how's it different? Is there anger, uh, disappointment or excitement? Well, the difference when you get fired from someplace or when you quit, right? If you get fired, there's a lot of anger there because you generally don't agree with what happened. Um, and I was young, so everything made me angry back then. Um, and then when you leave a job, you know, there's this feeling of joy, like, yes, I'm out. But if you didn't really want to lose your job and you do, it's, uh, it's deflating. If you felt like you were on the right track, felt like you were doing great things. And then, um, it really comes down to dollars and cents or whatever other reason that they happen to, to quote on it. It's a, uh, it's a feeling of the best way I can put it, Doug is, you you say if they don't want me, I don't want them. It's not like getting dumped. It's almost like getting ghosted. You know, the phone's just not gonna ring anymore, but maybe you're better off without that person. So um that's how I'm feeling. I'm I'm interested to see if I stick with e-commerce. I don't know if I will, Doug. I have um I have a real deep affinity for the forwarding world and for customs, and I think I'd like to get back to doing what I'm known for. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, mm. for the next couple of months, I'm going to get married. I'm going to go on a honeymoon. I'm going to spend time with the kids. I'm going to watch a lot of rugby and, uh, you know, do what I actually love instead of slinging furniture. Mm. Cool. Well, your pedigree speaks volumes that you just said with, uh, your, your week out there. So I'm sure you'll land on your feet and we can't wait to, to see where the hell that is. So, <laughs> mm. yeah, I don't know. I, I think Draper and Mento sounds like a good name for a forwarding company. So maybe we'll just do that. There we go. Yeah. And I appreciate you putting my name first. Mm. Alphabetically. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair's fair. So, all right, man. Here, um, my second topic is related to water that I spoke briefly about. Um, and this was specific to the Rhine River in, in Europe. We've heard about uh, rivers all over the world. Um, and it really put in perspective to me, Pete, because everybody's so focused on ocean we talk about trucking and land moving goods via the land and the ocean but there's a lot of commerce uh in movement on uh rivers and inland waterways um i think people may not realize that even along the mississippi it's not you know consumables that you and i would be buying on the shelf but it's the basf model you know they don't buy the things you make they buy the things you make better um so i think we're going to see that the one, the Rhine River gives me a little bit of pause just because of the craziness going on out in, in Europe right now, right? Um, I love this quote. So first of all, lowest levels in 20, since 2018, uh, the water levels could hit a record low of 25 centimeters very soon, which is insane wow. how small that is and things can still move on it. But this is a quote from a, a barge company out there. It said, I'm, I'm reading it directly because I read this. I'm like, that is freaking awesome. For reasons of safety, we shall uh, largely discontinue our navigation on the upper and middle Rhine. We regretfully have to point out we can no longer guarantee or meet all deadlines in accordance with our terms and conditions. We no longer have any obligation to transport commodities. 
Wow. We no longer have any obligation. That's pretty rough, man. I know. I read that. I'm like, that is a OG move. That's a big baller move to basically say, you know what? We'll do what we can, but it's not our problem. See page nine of terms and conditions. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love it. But in all seriousness, it's, it's, it's crazy. So here's my take on that. I had some other stuff I was going to say, but is the climate change the next supply chain disruptor, right? We're hearing about this all over the globe with lo- specific to low water levels, right? Emissions and, and, and things of that nature are big. But you know what's going to smack you right in the face is when there's not enough water to move things through uh, waterways that most people didn't even know were used for those purposes. So my question to you, Pete, is is climate change the next major disruptor in our industry? I will not go so far as to say it's the, but it's a, it's a major disruptor. And Mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. So first of all, the number of regulations that will be put into place to manage, to manage it. So you've got um, so many new regulations that the United States is, is, um, is either passing or agreeing to international courts that they're agreeing to, that the entire West is agreeing to that China, as an example, is saying, eh, I don't think so. Um, so what does that mean for intellectual, international relations, what does it mean for consumer confidence in certain companies? More importantly, those regulations are causing everything from scrubbers on vessels. Um, let's start there uh, to, you know, the way that aircraft actually manage their jet fuel, manage how it's loaded onto the aircraft manage how it's actually used, the expense of all of those things because of these regulations. It's going to make the price go up and up and up and up and up. I never really thought about barges, even though I've worked on them before, tuck, integrated tug and barge, when I was at sea. But the, um, the, the what brought to my attention, Doug, was was incoterms. You know, a number of incoterms are focused on on interwater, intercanal waterways across in different nations. And it was one of those things where, until someone pointed it out to me, I never realized how much of it I saw. And the amount of cargo that is moved up and down the Mississippi is astonishing when you really begin to look at how much moves. The amount of intercoastal that goes through Europe, again, astonishing when you begin to really look at it. And I think that the the future of global logistics is intertwined intensely with what goes on with uh, with our environmental policy, if for no other reason that the consumer cares so much about it. So if the consumer is demanding a certain type of action of a company, the companies are going to listen and they're going to follow suit because without that, they will lose the support of the people who pay their bills. So whether these companies like it or not, there's an expectation now by a significant number of consumers that they will act in a way that's more responsible, that they will try to find ways to adopt those policies. And I've made no joke of it. To me, I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's a positive thing. And um, A, it's A major factor, Doug, if not the, but it's definitely top three. Mm-hmm. Nice. Cool. All right. Pete, take us home. Yeah, so the third thing uh, really comes down to a a lot of conversations lately about will there never be a cliff with regards to ocean freight pricing? And there's two pieces of that I I, want to work in here. So the first is there's a a misunderstanding by many people who don't follow ocean freight that the rates that we're seeing in September that are being sold are generally for a 90-day term. So the things that we're, we're going to move or that are going to move in September 
They're going to get there in October, early November at the very, 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 very tail end. This is like, these are the last days of your ability to, with with authority, move cargo and put it in place properly for uh, even in the most advanced of supply chains for the, um, for the holiday season. So the rates that you're seeing now should be about where the floor is, should be about what we see for the rest of um, for the rest of the year. And then after Chinese New Year, I think you're going to see a correction. It's not going to be massive, but it's a correction. The way that we buy ocean freight is dependent on vessels. It's dependent on where things actually go from port to port. More importantly, though, it's also dependent on the type of consumption that we do. The bigger the company is, the more they can buy more consistent their actual spend is, the more consistent their desire to move things across borders. These smaller companies that are buying on the spot and getting lucky right now are going to find that the consistency of the rates following Chinese New Year should be almost mind-numbingly boring, Doug. We're, we're going to get to a point now where you kind of know where the rates are. They fluctuate between $1,000, you know, like, so let's say the, the rate is being $5,000 container to the West Coast. It's going to fluctuate between that $4,300 and $5,500, let us say, um, for quite some time. Because the ocean carriers are bringing in more capacity, but they're also going to be getting of the old stuff. For the very reasons you just talked about, there are international agreements and accords that have been signed that these ocean carriers are going to operate more environmentally friendly vessels that will have scrubbers. And they put that investment into these new vessels. They're going to take the old vessels they have not put the investment into out of service. And that's going to mean continued capacity issues. We're at, we're at we're where we're at now because they've done an excellent job of blank sailings, not calling on places and canceling sailings. We're going to remain here for the next couple of years as they take capacity out of the market and replace it with newer vessels that give them tax credits, that give them all kinds of other ways to help to you know adapt inside of the structure of how their finances work. Anyone who's expecting this great cliff to happen on ocean freight prices needs to get their head examined. These ocean carriers are operating as one. Not only are they operating as one, but they're being incredibly smart about, the, about how they make, make sure and maintain that only so much volume is able to move and that capacity is firmly in their hands. Um, it, someday it's going to be a hell of a business case study. But Doug, mm -hmm. um, the the rumors of a cliff happening in ocean freight rates going back down to fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand dollars for a forty to the West Coast, that's done, buddy. That's never happened. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you say business case study. I say mafia movie, right? I'll come <laughs> up with some catchy <laughs> catchy name of of the movie when I put in the, uh, uh. the thing here. But yeah, I I think you're spot on, and. Uh, speaking of spot, I think if you play, if you're a smaller importer, right, you are at most risk, in, in my opinion, because the stop, the, the, the uh, spot market is going to be incredibly volatile and you're just going to be whipped around in the wind like nobody's business. So rather than, uh, uh, Peter, I was just thinking about this literally while, while you're making that, that take. If you're uh, a buyer on the spot market, you need to look beyond what your freight forward is quoting you and finding out what is the buying group. Or, or what is the bigger uh, buying entity that this freight forwarder may be buying into to understand the stability there? So um, I think you need to be a little bit more astute, a little bit better understanding of how the global supply chain works and where your freight forwarder, because there's lots of out there, smaller guys, mm -hmm. you got the big boys that make a lot of news, but there are thousands that are good companies that actually uh, lean on buying networks to get uh, you know, get the rates that they need. So I think you as an individual importer 
that's in the spot market, you have to look beyond what your freight forwarder is saying to understand what they're up against in, in the spot market. So I think you're, you nailed it. It's, it's not yeah, going back. Doug, Go if ahead. I could just add one little piece of it before you close this out with this. Um, my advice to small to medium sized consumers of freight has always been 60, 40, 70, 30, somewhere in there, depending on your ports. You, you still need a contract or, or have long-term rates that you're comfortable with so you can do some planning, let's say 60%. But you should always be playing the spot market, always, because there's something out there. There's always bullet rates. There's always something that comes in from the forwarders that you're going to be able to actually manage and manipulate. Putting all of your eggs in one basket and saying this is how we buy our, our ocean freight is probably a mistake. You should leave yourself some room for negotiation. It's like anything else in business. If you don't have any leverage at all, you're just going to be a victim to the people who do. Yeah, excellent. Excellent way to send us off for this week in global trade this week. As always, Cap Logistics uh, pushes the button and turn the levers. Uh, as we say, we wouldn't be here pontificating and having fun without those guys. So please visit caplogistics.com. Yeah when you have a chance uh, to talk about their services. And I think that's a wrap, Pete. It's Doug, good to Doug, have you can, back. We, we can keep talking. I've got nothing else to do other than <laughs> go watch how hot Amy is while she, while she folds laundry. Like I have nothing else to do. So if you want to do like nine more topics, but I guess Keenan yeah. probably has to get back to recess. So we should let it go. Yeah. Well, think of a, think of a logo for Draper Mento uh, forwarding LLC and, um, and you could put that up. Big chief tablet and crayons. Everybody's going back to school now, so you should have plenty of them sitting around at your store. Big, chief. big chief tablet. I forgot oh. about that, man. Yeah, yeah, and the markers and the crayons. So we'll, we'll see. We'll have to quick, see what we come up with on the next show. Quick shout-out before we go. Nazareth Rugby, everybody. If you're not a rugby fan, you become one. Division One Rugby, they got a scrimmage on uh, Tuesday against Fairfield. Hudson, of course, is playing. He's a freshman. Um, he's been going three practices a day, working his ass off. Um, really proud of him. Want him to know that. I doubt he ever watches the show. But uh, for those of you who are big rugby fans, um, you need to watch out for the big lock, big eight man. That's playing at Nazareth. He's going to crush a lot of skulls. And for everybody who's going back to school, everybody who's getting back into their life as both a student athlete, be safe, study hard, take care of your teammates. You got it. All right. Everybody, thanks for watching the show this week. Take care. See ya.